whenever you tell a summarized story of something a lot longer, what you end up with is something a little bit reductive. Like, that's the nature of it. Because if you could tell the story in a minute and a half, you wouldn't have bothered making the film in the first place. Um, you, you make the film and you make it a certain length because that's how long it takes to take the story. And so whenever you summarize something down like that, then you don't get to see any of the nuances of the plot, of what actually makes the character tick, of anything that actually makes the story interesting. You just get, like, this happens and this happens and this happens and then the end. Now, now in this, uh, over these next four weeks, we are going to do a summary of the Bible, of the storyline of the Bible, and we're going to spend four weeks doing it, just looking at the kind of big ideas that run through it. And I just want to flag up at the beginning, it is by its very nature going to be a little bit reductive. If I could tell the story of the Bible in four weeks, God wouldn't have bothered giving us the Bible. If all we needed was a summary, God would have given us a summary. But he didn't give us a summary. He gave us the whole thing. He gave us this story that we have in the Bible that tells us everything that we need to know. He gave us this long, multifaceted story which has poetry and laws and history and letters made up of hundreds of characters existing over centuries and centuries. That's what God chose to give us because that's what we need in order to understand him and know him. And so, yes, we're going to do the Bible story in four weeks, but don't, don't think that this is it. This is all the Bible has to say. It isn't. It, it's a summary, but it's a really useful summary because there is a central thread that runs through the Bible. There is a story which holds the whole thing together. It's not a book of random characters and random sayings. In the same way that other books may have different elements, but these elements are still designed to be part of a coherent whole. So the Bible has loads of different sections, but they all play a part in one story, in a, in a whole. To understand an element of the story without understanding how it fits into the whole, that would do an injustice to the story. Now, I just wanted to say that as we kick off, because it strikes me that this is what people do with the Bible all the time. They take bits out of it, and they talk about those bits as if they have no connection with the actual storyline of the Bible. It, to do that would be like me... Taking, talking at length about the character of Tom Bombadil without having any understanding of the story of Lord of the Rings. Or, or discussing the portrayal of Forks in The Little Mermaid without any comprehension of what actually happens in The Little Mermaid. We wouldn't do it. It would make se no sense because the individual elements of the story only make sense as part of the whole. Now, I come across this all the time and I come across it all and it comes from, from two sides. So, so the, on the one side, you have people who say, oh, I really like, I really like what the Bible has to say. I think it's, it's got some really good stuff to say. I, I like the way it talks about loving each other and forgiveness and all those kind of things. Uh, and so they've got this idea of like, oh, I like the Bible. Doesn't that say, you know, be nice to people and do unto others as you should do yourself? Yeah, I really like what the Bible has to say. But they have no actual concept of what the story of the Bible is. They, they, haven't, they haven't taken that teaching and fitted it into the overall storyline of the Bible. It's like knowing two sentences from a book and making a judgment on the book based on those two sentences with no real understanding of what the story comes like. And you'll, you'll come across this all the, t all the time. People are like, oh yeah, I think, I think the Bible's got some really good stuff to say. By which they mean they know two sentences from it and they think that those two sentences were quite good. We would not do that with any other book. It would not make sense. 
Those two sentences only mean anything in the storyline of the book as a whole. But you also get it from, from the other side. So you get those people who are like, oh no, I, I, think, I think the Bible, it's just, it's just outdated and it, it's, it, we shouldn't listen to it. I don't like what it has to say about, pick your topic. I don't like what the Bible has to say about sexual ethics. I don't like what the Bible has to say about slavery. I don't like its views on gender. And they say these things without any understanding of actually the story of the Bible. They've just taken out individual bits of the Bible and just gone, oh, I don't like that bit of what I think the Bible might say about it. But they don't actually know the story of the Bible. You can't understand what the Bible says about those things if you don't understand how they fit into what the story of the Bible actually is. And so what what we're hoping to do over these next four weeks is to run through the central storyline of the Bible. And this week, we're going to start at the beginning. And in the beginning, we are told God created the heavens and the earth. That is how the Bible starts in one of the great opening lines of any book ever written. And it is that great event which provides the backdrop for the entire storyline of the Bible. The whole storyline of the Bible, the whole basis of the good news of the gospel is built on this one truth, that everything in heaven and earth was created by God. And by everything, we mean everything, every planet, every galaxy, every star, every tree, every animal, every human being, every individual cell was created by God. That's how the Bible begins. There is one creator, and he is God, and everything else in the universe is a different category. It's the category of created. That's it. There's two categories. Creator, there's one thing in that creator, one being God. And everything else is a different category, created, something that was made. Now, now as human beings, I know that we are obsessed with, and have been for a while, obsessed with how creation took place, the Big Bang, evolution, all of that stuff. And I just want to say, being interested in that isn't wrong. It's not wrong to try and work out how the world works. Christians have always been at the forefront of examining the world and seeking to understand it. Why would we not want to understand the world that... God has made. Of course we'd want to understand how it works as well as we could. But the Bible is more concerned with us answering one question, and that is, why, when there could have been nothing, is there so much something? Like, like there, there doesn't have to be anything. There could have been nothing. So why is there all this? Why is all this here? Where did it all come from? Why does anything exist at all? And the answer the Bible gives to this is that everything exists because God made it. Now in terms of, the, I'm no scientist, so I'm not going to get into a kind of a massive discussion about this. But in terms of the origin of the universe, it seems to me that there are only three broad options available to us. By all means, tell me afterwards of some other options and I'll add them to my list. But it seems to me there's only three broad options available to us. So there's either, either we can believe that everything came out of nothing, that there was nothing, and at some point out of that nothing came everything. That's one option. Or we can believe that there has always been something, uh, so a sort of infinite regression of causes. 
there was this thing and that made this thing, and before that there was this thing that made that thing, and you just infinitely go back to something that was making something that was making something that was making something going back to infinity. That's the second option. Or, or the third option, something or somebody has always been there who created everything. Now, they're, they're, as far as I can work out, they're about the only three options we've got for where did everything come from. And it's worth saying that each of those options completely blows my mind. Like, I, I cannot get my head around any of those options. How can nothing create something that seems to fly in the face of everything I understand about cause and effect? How can we have an infinite regression of causes? Surely at some point we must reach a limit. Surely we have to get to a non-infinite end to that. Or how can anything exist that was not created? Like, I just can't get my head around that. Like, when did it begin? What do you mean it didn't begin? How does that work? Each of these options are beyond our human comprehension. But the Bible clearly tells us which one of those three options is true. Option three. And the something is actually a someone. It is the God of the Bible, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who then will spend the rest of the Bible revealing himself to us. That's where the story begins. If you're going to understand the story of Christianity, if you're going to understand who God is, if you're going to understand who you are, the Bible is going to begin with, in the beginning, God created everything. And so all I'm going to do now for the rest of this afternoon is just, just think about what difference does that actually make? Like what are the implications of that for your and my life? Why is that so central to the story of the Bible? And there are many, many implications of this. And the Bible is going to keep coming back to this idea, God made this and therefore this. I just want to talk about three things which are different because God is the creator of everything. Three, three differences it makes. Um, and here, here is the first one that I want to start with. The world is not ours. The world does not belong to us. We didn't create it. We don't own it. And that means that we don't get to simply treat the world how we would want to. No, the world is God's and everything in it is his. And so we are called to look after it, to care for it, and ultimately to live in it as God wants us to, because it's his. If God didn't make the world, then we could ultimately live how we want in it. We could do whatever we want. It's ours to do with as we see fit. But if there is a creator, then that creator legitimately has authority over the thing he's made. So often, we live in the world as if it belongs to us, as if we can do what we want in it. And we resent the idea that God might tell us what to do or not do. Who is God to tell us how we should or shouldn't live? Well, the Bible's answer is, he is your creator and he's the creator of the world. And as such, he has authority to say how you should live and how you should treat the things that he has made. Now, nowhere do we see this background more clearly than in the area of morality. God says that certain things are right and certain things are wrong. But we find ourselves asking, well, why should I do what God says? What right does God have to tell me how to live? I will decide for myself what is right and what is wrong. But the Bible says you don't get to do that because it's not yours. 
In the same way as if I made a glass statue, I could legitimately tell someone not to use it as a cricket bat. And if they did use it as a cricket bat, that would be wrong of them. God who made us and made this world can legitimately tell us what are the right and wrong ways to live in it. If you look at the history of human beings, the history of human beings has been that repeatedly we have treated the world as if it belongs to us. As if we can treat it exactly how we want to. People have assumed they can use and abuse resources. That they can exploit the people in it. That they get to decide what is right and what is wrong. That they can fight over it and kill over it and seek to possess more and more of it. But the Bible begins with this assertion. The universe does not belong to you. It belongs to the one who created it. So that's, that's, that's why it matters to begin with. God gets to call the shots because he made everything. But not only does the fact that God made everything mean that he has the authority to, to, to determine what's right and wrong in his universe, it also means, secondly, that he is best placed to decide that. So yes, he has the authority, but more because he made it, he actually understands the world much better than you could. You see, when I tell someone not to use my glass statue as a cricket bat, it's because it wouldn't make a very good cricket bat. It would be a single-use cricket bat, and it wouldn't hit the ball very far, and it's likely to injure you and injure people around you. You might think it would make a good cricket bat, but as its maker, I would know it wouldn't. Now, we live in a world where increasingly people see all opinions as equally valid. I think one thing and you think something else, but who's to say which of us is right? My doctor with seven years of medical training may say one thing, but I googled it for five minutes and I think something different. The problem with this attitude is that we've brought it into our Christianity. God might say that I shouldn't love money, but I'm pretty sure I'll be happy if I just have a bit more. God might say not to accept lust in our lives, but I have sexual needs and I simply have to watch this porn. God might say not to lie, but I can see how, this situation, how in this situation lying would be better. God might say that we should keep meeting with his people, but I can see that I'm, I'm actually better off alone. As if we're weighing up two equal options. What God says, oh yeah, there might be something in that, but I've also got to think about what I, I know, because I know quite a lot as well. On the one hand, we have God's opinion, and on the other hand, we have ours. And who's to say which is right? Well, I'm going to say which is right. God's. God's is right, because God is the creator of the entire universe, the one who spoke everything into being and who sustains it all. You are a speck on a planet at a singular point in time. It's not even close. It's not like, oh, he's read one more book than you. Like, he knows everything, and you know practically nothing. The way that we sit in judgment over God as if we are equipped to determine whether what God says is right and wrong is frankly ludicrous. It makes no sense. God made the world and so he is the only one truly equipped to tell us how we should live in it. You see, God being the creator ultimately means that he has the authority to say how we live, but it also means that he knows and understands the best way to live. So when he says you need to accept sacrifice in your life, he knows that that is the best way to live in the world he created because he made you and he made the world. When he says that joy is found not in loving yourself but in loving others, 
He knows that it is to be true because he made you. When he said that we should live out lives of worship to him, he knows that this is what's best for us because he made us to be people who find our meaning and purpose in worshipping the God who made us. I want to make this as clear as I can for you. If you are somebody here today who's not a Christian, you, would say, you wouldn't say that you follow Jesus, maybe you've never thought about him, maybe you're thinking about him for the first time. This is what this means. It means that God calls you to listen to him as the one who made you. The best thing you can do in your life is listen to the God who made you. God, as your creator, calls on you to follow him. Now, you can ignore that. People have been ignoring that throughout history. Of course you can ignore it, but it would be a slightly odd thing to do. Why would we not listen to the God who made us, who has authority over us, and who understands us better than we understand ourselves? So yes, you can ignore him. Yes, you can decide, I'm going to do my own thing. But if you're not a Christian, that's what God calls you to do. He says, listen to me as the one who made you and the one who understands you. If you are, if that's not you today, so if you are somebody who would say, yeah, I'm a Christian, I know Jesus, I follow Jesus, then you need to listen to what God says and then you need to do it. That's what it means for him to be creator. The amount of times I have conversations with Christians as if they're weighing up whether or not they're going to obey God in a particular area is a little bit disconcerting, if I'm honest. As if they're sitting there debating, should I do what God wants me to do or should I do what I want to do? Am I better off listening to God or listening to myself? As if there's actually a decision to be made there. As if we're weighing up two comparable options. As Christians, it's genuinely bonkers for us even to contemplate doing what we think is best if it goes against what God says. You know, should I listen to what I think with my five GCSEs and food hygiene certificate? Or... Should I listen to the God of the universe who created everything and has seen all of history? Oh, I'm just not sure. Like, it makes no sense. As Christians, if God made everything, then we need to listen to him and do what he says. It's not for us to sit in judgment over him. It's not for us to decide which things God says we're going to listen to and which things we're not. You see, that's why the Bible begins with, in the beginning, God created everything. Because it's that fact that gives him the authority to tell us how to live, and that gives us confidence to believe that when he says something is good, it is. And when he says something is bad, it's bad. This is the beginning of the gospel story. And it's the foundation on which the whole story of the Bible is built. So you see, if in the beginning God created everything, that means the world's not ours, and it means God understands the world better than us. So that means that we should listen to what God says and do what he says. That's, at its most basic level, what I'm saying here. You see, there is one sense, as I said at the start, in which we are part of the broad category of created things in which everything in our universe sits, other than God himself. On the one hand, we are just another created thing, like... I don't know. I can't think of anything created at the moment. Mountains. But, on the other hand, there is a sense in which we're different to all of the things as well. In the creation story, you will notice, as it was read, that at the end of that story, you read these words. 
So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Human beings have a unique place in creation. We are created in God's image and we are created with a purpose. And that makes us different to everything else in creation. No animal is described as created in God's image and no animal is given a specific role. But human beings are. We are created to reflect something of what God is like and we are created to develop the world and to rule over it under God. You see, it's it's popular, isn't it, today to say that human beings are just like animals. And of course, there is a degree to which that's right. We're creatures just like animals. We are created, not the creator. And we share lots of characteristics uh, with animals. But most human beings, today and throughout history, have had a sense that there is something different between human beings and animals. And that is because there is. Every human being is made in God's image and therefore has dignity and worth. There is no human being that that is not true of, and that includes you. You are made in God's image. God decided to create you and to put something of himself in you. Something of what he's like. And therefore, you are not worthless, but of immense value. And you are not just like other animals, you are different to them. And similarly, every human being is made with a purpose. None of us are purposeless. None of us are pointless. We are all created by God to develop and care for the world he made. Where we do this well, we fulfill the role for which we were created. Where we do it badly, we fell against the God who made us and end up empty and unsatisfied, failing to fulfill the very role for which we were created. I don't know how you've come here this afternoon. I don't know what baggage you brought with you. Maybe you've come here feeling really low. Maybe historically you've suffered from low self-esteem, from low views of self-worth. Maybe you come here feeling like your life is pointless. What is it you even do? What difference do you make in the world? Why are you even here? These are common feelings in our society. Lots of people are battling with these issues. But I want to suggest that one of the reasons why so many people are battling with these issues in our society is because we've rejected the starting point of the Bible story, which tells us that we have worth and we have a purpose. In a world of low self-esteem and meaningless drifting, we need to reconnect with this gospel story, which says that we are loved and precious, and that our purpose is not simply happiness or money or family or any of these things we pursue but which make us feel so empty but our purpose is to know the God who made us and then develop this world in the way he intended us to you see there is a a third implication of this that we are created in God's image we have a purpose if you want to know the purpose of your life Genesis 1 tells you the purpose of your life 
is to develop the world in the way God intends us to. So let, let, me, let me wrap up uh, for this week. How does the Bible story begin? Well, it begins with a God who creates everything. And a God who therefore has authority to tell us how to live and who has the wisdom to understand the best way to live in the world he made. It begins with human beings who are made special, made to reflect something of a God with purpose, with a purpose to develop and rule over the world God's made. That's the beginning of this story. That's the world God created. It's the world we all live in. But it's also the world that we have broken. And next week, we're going to look at what the Bible says about what went wrong in this world. Because if there's one thing you'll notice as you read through Genesis 1, it's that again and again, God declares the world to be good. God makes a good world. And we can see that all around us. But something goes wrong in that world. Uh, next week we're going to have a look at that before we get into how God solves that problem. Let me pray for us uh, as we finish.